The following audio is from Central Christian Church, located in Portales, New Mexico. To connect with Central, go to centralwired.org.
Good morning. I like that. All right. Um, so great to be here this morning. I'm glad you're all here. Um, Philippians 4, 6, and 7. Uh, be anxious for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your request be made known to God, and the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your heart and mind through Christ Jesus. So it's that time of year. It's judging season in FFA. We actually have quite a few FFA judges in here today from Portalis and Dora. It's pretty cool that we live in these kind of communities where we're all so close together and that we go to different schools, but we praise God in the same church building. So um, I don't know about other contests, but I do Ento. I'm the bug guy. I'm weird. I got bug shoes. That's my favorite thing. So... You have your regular contest, like invitationals, which are at like different schools, and then you have state. In other schools, it's different. You have from 8 in the morning until 3, or your ag teacher pulls you out because you've been taking too long. And so you start it. You have all day to do your contests. Hopefully it doesn't take that long. But at state is a little different. At state for Into, there's for each contest, there's 30 bugs and a 50-question test. And they have three fold-up tables like we have back in the fellowship hall, and they have 15 bugs on each side. And they line you up, so all the there's four people on a team. You have all your 01s, your 02s, 3s, and 4s. So all the 1s go out, and you put your back to a bug. So I'm on, like, bug 6. And they say, and turn. And you have 30 seconds to get the entire bug done. Name, class, order, metamorphosis, and parts. Yeah, those are big words. I'm surprised I said them. And you have 30 seconds, and then they say, switch, and you have to move on to the next one. And it goes good, and you're having a good time until you're not ready to move, and they say, switch. Then the panic sets in because, oh, no, they're telling me to go to the next bug, and I didn't finish that one. And then you're freaking out. And the first time I went to state, um, I didn't know that was a thing and about, until about two minutes before I walked into the contest. They said, oh, yeah, you have 30 seconds of bug. Thanks for the heads up. Oh. Thanks, Trace. So um, we're going along, and I get behind, and I was not ready to switch over, and I'm the panic sets in, and I was on bugs, and my mentor Trace was in testing, and I'm freaking out, and I'm starting to look around, and he we make eye contact, and he says, breathe, and I'm like, thanks, Trace. <sighs> so I was just thinking about it, and I was like, we can't let small problems get in our way upset the rest of our day, our week, our month, our year. We have to remain calm in all that we do. We have to keep our class as we go through our daily lives. So as this week goes on, I want you all to take those moments that you get of craziness to take your chance to be still, be calm, talk to God, and just remember that he's always there for you. He's always with you in all that you do and everywhere that you go. Because time flies. I mean, it feels like only yesterday I was walking into my freshman year of high school and I had to fill out a FAFSA. I didn't know what that was, and I had to fill out a FAFSA. That was stressful. Thanks, Mom. And, but in the grand scheme of things, there's no need to rush because this is only a small part in our long, long story. Because eventually... It's just going to be you, God, and heaven for all of eternity. So, bow your heads.
Our dear most gracious and Father, we come to you right now and we thank you for this day and we thank you for all the many blessings you've given us. We thank you for letting us all come together in this wonderful house and we pray that throughout this week, if we are troubled by anything, that you help us in all that we do. We pray that you guide us and direct us in everything we do. And we pray for those who are struggling from the wind and we pray we lift up First Baptist Church as they need a lot of help. And So we love you and we praise you. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Uh, we were at SeaWorld in San Antonio, and Emma was probably four. Um, we were at the wave pool, and uh, Marie and I were with Caden. Caden was actually just a baby then. We were in the shallow area with him. Uh, I saw Emma and Bailey out on the waves, and because I generally try to be the coolest dad ever, I headed toward them. As was the custom, the place was packed. I don't know when they took this picture, but I don't think it's ever looked like that at all. This is wall-to-wall people in the water. But I still found the kids pretty quickly. I saw Bailey out of the corner of my eye, and I moved towards the kids. I saw Emma, and I picked her up from behind, and I said, Yay! Isn't this the greatest day ever? But it wasn't the greatest day ever, because it wasn't Emma. I mean, it looked like her. I was panicked. I was shocked. I was terrified. How could this happen to me? And I looked around. I was like, surely, Bailey, help me. Bail me out. Bailey was nowhere to be found. I don't know where he went. I looked for Emma. Nowhere to be found. I didn't know where he went. I looked back at Marie. I knew she would be near the shallow end with Caden still. And she was giggling. She was laughing. She saw what had happened. She saw the whole thing. She was too far away to help, but she was, she was still chuckling. So there I was, picture this. I'm standing in the wave pool holding a kid that didn't belong to me with no proof that I even had kids, <laughs> let alone one that looked like the girl that I was holding just now. And there's a dad that's coming out of the corner of my eye. And the fact that I'm standing before you here today is proof that I was able to convince him that I was not indeed a creeper. (laughs) Uh, Sometimes we read the Bible like I looked for Emma that day. We glance without much thought and and we think we know what's going on, right? Maybe you saw the heading for today, sell everything. And maybe you said, maybe we should come back on a different day. Yeah. But Jesus' statements deserve more than a passing glance. Welcome online if you're tuning in on Facebook or live stream uh, on the radio. All of you that are here in the building, it's an absolute pleasure to share with you. Uh, This week as we continue our sermon series, he said, what? The shocking statements of Jesus and today is sell everything. So this quote uh, from last week got a whole lot of traction on social media. Forgiveness doesn't excuse their behavior. Forgiveness prevents their behavior from destroying your heart. It releases someone. And turns out the person it releases is you. Your heart matters to the Lord. It's what he wants from each and every one of us. And we're going to talk about our hearts today. 
So if we put all of them together, we would get the rich young ruler as the story for today. Our focus passage is found in Matthew chapter 19. If you'll turn there, uh, 16 through 22 is where we will be. It's also found in Mark chapter 10 and Luke chapter 18. It's in all three of the synoptic gospels. Synoptic just makes me sound super fancy. All it means is seen together. That's what it means. Seen together. Similar sayings, similar words, similar sequence, right? There's some discrepancies become, be, uh it, it, because of the author, but we see similarity in all three aspects. So let's go ahead and read our focus passage today. I'll be reading from the ESV. Matthew 19, verse 16 is where we are starting. And behold, a man came up to him saying, Teacher, what good deed must I do to have eternal life? And he said to him, Why do you ask me about, about what is good? There is only one who is good. If you would enter life, keep the commandments. He said to him, which ones? And Jesus said, you shall not murder. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not steal. You shall not bear false witness. Honor your father and mother, and you shall love your neighbor as yourself. The young man said to him, all these I have kept. What still do I lack? Jesus said to him, if you would be perfect, go Sell what you possess and give to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven, and come follow me. When the young man heard this, he went away sorrowful, for he had great possessions. In one of the translations, it actually shows that the young man ran up to Jesus. He was trying to get Jesus' attention. He had a very specific question for him that he needed answered. What good deed must I do? What am I missing? I'm a pretty good guy. This is how he is starting the conversation. And Jesus says, why do you ask about what is good? There is only one who is good. And Jesus is exposing the fact that good is not good enough. We'll see more on that in just a minute. Matthew's version says, keep the commandments. And, and Jesus goes on to list them. And all of the commandments he lists have to do with relations with other people. Do you see that? All of them, every single one of them, how we interact with somebody else. Jesus is going to show him that his good is not good enough. The man asks Jesus, what do I lack? What's missing? He said, I keep all the commandments. I've done that forever, for as long as I can remember. I am a good person, and I do what I'm supposed to do. So, is there anything I lack? And Jesus says, sell everything and give it to the poor. Jesus says, come, follow me. And the man hangs his head. The heading gives it away, but we find out at the end of the story that he's rich. We find out that the end of the story that he's got stuff. He hangs his head, he walks away from Jesus and the invitation to eternal life. The man was possessed by possessions. The thing that gets me every time is this guy says he keeps all the commandments and he breaks every single one. 
Even the ones that have to do with God. Because He's made His stuff an idol, right? He's put it before God. And then Jesus says, sell everything. He says, oh, I can't do that. So He's breaking all the other ones. See, we can't by ourselves uphold our end of the bargain. We can't live up to all of the things that would get us into the kingdom of heaven. That's why Jesus sacrificing his victory bridges the way. The heading of the passage gives it away, but we don't know the money. We don't know that the man has money until the end of the story. The NLT said he went away sad because he had many possessions. He had stuff. Now, please don't hear me wrong. Like, I'm a sneakerhead, turns out. I like stuff, you know. I have stuff. You have stuff. It's okay to have stuff. It's okay to have money. I'm going to talk more about that throughout. So please don't take that away and stop listening. Don't just glance at what Jesus is saying. Let's take a deeper look. Let's really focus in on this guy and why he walks away. I mean, that's what I wanted to know. Why does this guy walk away? This guy was probably in his 20s. Says he's young, right? Uh, He's not a Roman. Romans would not be having this kind of conversation with a rabbi, especially Jesus, right? They're not going to concern themselves with things like that. He may have been a ruler of a synagogue. We see that in the synoptic gospels. So he had wealth, he had stuff, and he had power. He came searching. He came to ask a question. This guy knew scripture. This guy knew the commands. This guy knew what he was supposed to do. And he, in his eyes, was good. I came across this quote from C.S. Lewis this week as I was preparing. He who has God and everything else has no more than he who has God only. And we see that in a house fire. When everything could be lost and it doesn't matter anymore. It's all just stuff. When, when Caden and I rolled our truck and the truck was totaled, I was just so thankful that we were both okay. Perfect hair and all. They would walk up to us and they would say, were you guys the ones in the accident? Because we still looked like we were fine. I mean, how does that happen? We crawled out the back window. The truck was crushed to the point that we couldn't open the doors. If you have God, God is all you need. The rest of it is just stuff. But still, the question remains, why did the guy turn around and walk off? Why did he leave? So let's take a deeper look at this guy. Giving of alms was one of the pillars of piety. This is spiritual devotion, right? Devotion to the Lord. It's one of the pillars of piety. One of the, one of the ways to show that you are fully in among Judaism, especially among the Pharisees. This guy was most likely a Pharisee, right? So he had given money before, and he was perfectly okay with giving money again. This was not the problem. The problem was not asking to give stuff away. He's done it time and time again. You know, the kicker of the whole thing, if we're comforted by the fact that that Christ did not tell all of their all of his followers to to sell their possessions, then we may be too attached to what we have. 
So glad I dodged a bullet there, right? Ah, I'm so thankful you didn't ask me to sell everything, like have a big garage sale, get rid of all my stuff. I got stuff. I love stuff. Sell everything was the last thing that this man expected to hear. There was a long list of things he expected to hear before Jesus got to that. But it's not a precedent. It's not. It's not a command for us to follow. There's some people that will say, sell everything like we've got to give everything away. Now, I will give you this, that Jesus praises the widow's might, right? Giving all that she had to give sacrificially. We see in the book of Acts where the disciples come together. In fact, the entire church comes together, sells all their stuff, puts it in a big old pool, and they, they, they live together. They do life together. We see in Scripture over and over again that we're supposed to have giving and generous hearts. But I don't believe it's a precedent for you to sell everything. I don't think that God is calling every single person to do that. But the overflow determines the action. Actions are an overflow of your heart. Jesus says that a couple of different times, right? Whatever is in your heart is what spills out onto everybody else. Let me give an example, right? Let's say I'm walking around with my Captain America coffee mug and somebody bumps me. I've got coffee in my mug. What comes out of my mug when somebody bumps me? Coffee, right? It's not a trick question. Coffee's in the mug, right? Let's say I'm walking with a glass of tea and somebody bumps me and I spill what? I spill tea because that's what's in the cup. When somebody bumps you and angerness is in your heart, angerness is going to come out. When somebody ruffles your feathers and bitterness is in your heart, bitterness is going to come out. But the good thing is when joy is inside of your heart and somebody says something negative, joy is going to come outside of your heart. When gratitude is in your heart, no matter what the circumstance is, gratitude will overflow from your heart. The overflow determines the action. The prosperity, I said prosperity gospel, and all of a sudden you're like, what? Right? Now, the prosperity gospel will tell you that God wants you to be wealthy tell you that God wants you to be rich, that God wants you to have stuff, and the more stuff, the better, right? If you want something, pray it, God's going to give it to you, because that's what God wants. And they, the prosperity gospel says that God loves you, and that's why he does it, right? But God's love isn't measured in currency, it's measured at Calvary. 2 Corinthians 5.21 says, He became sin who knew no sin, that, he, that we might become His righteousness, right? For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. He gives us good gifts because of His sacrifice and His victory on Calvary. His love for us is not determined in our current circumstances. You may be saying, that's a cool tangent, but how does that apply? I'm glad you asked. That's my next point. Under Pharisaic Judaism, wealth was viewed as a divine favor or sign that God approved of the person. 
In that way, the prosperity gospel and Pharisaic Judaism were similar. Not in other ways necessarily, but in this one, yes. The more money you had, the more God loved you. It went so far as to say if a person was wealthy, God had assigned that reward to them because they lived, get this, an especially righteous life. They were a good person. They were a righteous person. They they kept the commandments. They, They gave to others. They did all of these things all in the name of the Lord. And God gave them stuff based on all of that. So stick with me now. The guy's wealthy. The guy has power. The guy has stuff. And the guy thinks the reason he got all of that is because he's had a righteous life and God's blessing him. And Jesus says, sell everything. His wealth had become his means to personal identity, to purpose, to power, to meaning in life. When Jesus asked this guy to sell everything, he's asking him to give up way more than his stuff. He's asking him to give up who he is. What is he without his money? What is he without his power? Without his things? without the the blessings of righteousness bestowed on him. His entire world is turned upside down. How do you see yourself today? It's important to get to this part. We see that this guy is described as the rich young ruler, right? Rich, he had money, young. He was just getting started ruler. He had power, right? So if we go along those lines, people would say something like this about me. Goofy, creative pastor, right? You could say something like that to me. Uh, maybe throw in some dad jokes, uh, musician, uh, incredible uh, husband, uh, father, you know, whatever. How do you see yourself? So I'm going to put a, a, a few descriptors on the screen for you. And what I want you to do is I want you to turn to your neighbor and I want you to share, just pair and share, for a couple of minutes, how would you describe you? How do you see yourself? There's some ideas up here. It's not an exhaustive list, okay? You've got a couple of minutes. I want you to talk to your neighbor and then we'll come back and we'll talk about that. Go ahead and go for now.
All right, how would you describe you? Thank you so much for sharing. I want to hear all of your answers, please. So on the count of three, I want you to tell them to me. Ready? One, two, three. Some of you didn't say anything, right? Luke, I'm looking at you, right? Unless you're a ventriloquist, you didn't just tell me. Okay. How do you see yourself? Why is this even important? The guy walked away from Jesus. And he is the one that pursued Jesus in the first place. Jesus wasn't just asking him to sell everything. He was asking him for his identity. What would happen if what you just listed was gone? Let me give you an example. This week was the first time that I've ever experienced carpal tunnel. Never been a thing. If you know what that is, like wrist hurts. I never entered my mind that I wouldn't ever be able to play piano. And I know that that's a little doom and gloom, but you just don't think of stuff like that, do you? What if I couldn't teach? What if I wasn't a student? What if I wasn't a basketball player? Maybe we've said, Lord, I have to protect my family. Maybe you said protector somewhere in there. Lord, people depend on me at work, right? If I'm not there, the whole thing falls apart. Maybe you said, Lord, I have to make the team, right? I I have to qualify. Maybe you say, Lord, I I need to be accepted, and I'm going to do whatever it takes to get there. Maybe you're saying, Lord, I want to get married. I want to have a family. I want to start yesterday. Lord, don't ask me to give up who I am. It's too much. The Lord wants what you can't let go of. Think of that thing that you still hold on to. Death grip. You don't want to give it to him. He already knows but you still don't want to hand it over. You're holding back for whatever reason. I surrender all. He wants that thing. That thing that you're trying to control. That thing that you're you're trying to hide. I'm reading from the ESV today. Anybody venture a guess how many times surrender, the literal word, is in the Bible in the ESV translation? The literal word surrender. How many people would venture a guess surrender is in the ESV 50 times? Raise your hand. Okay. How many would say more than 50? Think that it's more than 50? I mean, it's a really, it's a good word, right? How many people would say uh, 25? It's in 25 times. I mean, the Bible's a big book, right? How many people would say 10? It's in there nine times. The literal word surrender is in the ESV translation nine times. It's only in there once. And it says, surrenders his rights when talking about Paul. Now, surrender is all over the Bible. Don't get me wrong. Draw near, submit yourself. All of this is indicative of that word, surrender. But the other eight times in the ESV, when it happens in the Old Testament, 
Surrender is used as a battle term. When an opposing army surrenders, they lay down their arms. They lay down their weapons. And the winners take control. The victors, the conquerors, they take control from then on. When God is the king of our heart, we lay down our arms. We lay down our weapons. We lay down our successes, our failures, who we see ourselves as, our, our plans, our future, our addictions. We lay them all down. And the victor, the conqueror, leads from then on. We seek his heart when he conquers ours. What are you holding tightly to? Maybe you're defined by successes, right? Uh, Jesus goes on to tell the disciples that it's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than a rich man to get into heaven. There's some speculation, maybe eye of the needle is a gate in Jerusalem, but I think it's just hyperbole. I think that Jesus is, is, is calling upon something that would be very familiar to people, a camel, right? And then thinking of the smallest thing he can, this tiny little eye of a needle. And this is why the disciples are distraught. It's impossible. How in the world is that huge animal going to fit through that tiny little hole? And this is where Jesus drops the bomb. And he says what we use for other things, right? Anything is possible with God. It's impossible for this to happen. It's impossible for a rich man to enter the kingdom of heaven when we've misplaced where our focus should be. But everything is possible with God. I think I know why it's difficult for a rich man to enter the kingdom. The better you believe yourself to be, the less grace you think you need. If you think you're a good person, you don't need much grace. If you think you've got it all figured out, you don't need much grace, right? You've got it taken care of. Do you hear Jesus' offer today? Are you going to turn around and walk away? Are you going to surrender? Are you willing to let go? Are you, are you willing to meet Jesus right where you are? There's this comedian when I was in high school who said, wherever you go, there you are, right? Wherever you go, there you are. It is true. Go to work, Jesus is right there, willing to meet you where you are. Go to school, Jesus is right there, willing to meet you where you are. Go, work, or go, to, go to home, Jesus is right there, willing to meet you where you are. And he continues to ask this question, are you going to surrender? Are you going to lay down your arms? Are you going to let me be the king of your heart? Maybe you're identified by your successes, but maybe you're identified by your limitations. I'm too young. People won't listen to me. I'm too old. Maybe I don't have much to offer anymore. I'm too quiet. I I don't know how to to say words when I'm in, in, in front of people. Or maybe I'm too loud, right? We have a son that's a little loud, right? A little extra. It's not the one sitting in here either. Maybe you say, people won't listen. I used to be a dumpster fire. 
people won't believe that I've changed. Maybe you say, I don't like people. I'd rather be alone. No one gives me a chance. I'm not qualified. Why should I even try? There are some quotes that just throat punch you, right? And this is it for me. If you argue for your limitations, you get to keep them. Don't define yourself. Let the Lord define you. Don't let other people speak into your life that don't have permission to say anything. Don't let negative influences override the promises of God. Don't let your limitations. I'm too quiet. I'm too old. Not good enough. Nobody trusts me. Move closer to Jesus. I surrender all. And we say it's impossible. And I would say not with God. (laughs) Some of the greatest testimonies come from limitations. Some of the greatest stories start with, I didn't think I could, but God I added this to my sermon uh, yesterday. The part that I had before just didn't fit. And I tend to overshare. You probably know that if you've, I'm about to. So I'm, I'm sorry about that. I guess it's a thing that I do. That's what my daughter would say. It's a thing, Dad. It's okay. The college was a new experience for me. I wouldn't say that I was a sheltered person, but I was a bit overwhelmed when I got there. Um, I wasn't in a great place. I had some good friends, but I wasn't in a great place. There wasn't as much time for Jesus as it went on. I would get really angry. So, (laughs) sorry. I used to punch walls hard. When I got angry. I wouldn't recommend that, by the way. It's not a good way to release anything. I was hurting, and I didn't know how to express that. I lived with that secret for a really long time. I was ashamed. I was pretty sure Jesus didn't want to have anything to do with me at that point. I was wrong. I surrender all. (laughs) But it was really hard to surrender that. After college, um, I carried another thing with me, the bottle. I drink a lot. And Marie and I got married, and uh, the first couple years of our marriage was really hard. Really hard. And she never talked about leaving me, but I didn't give her much reason to stay. I thought I could handle the bottle, but it was handling me, clearly. 
It was beginning to pour out into my relationships, into everything that I did. The overflow determines the action. I surrender all. But it was really hard to surrender that. Nowadays, it's the daily grind for me. You see, I should be able to handle our finances. I should be able to manage my relationships, my emotions, my anxiety. I should be able to manage all of that stuff. I should be able to stay healthy. I should be the perfect husband, the perfect father. I should be able to do all of these things without any help because that's what guys do. They don't ask for help. They do it on their own. They handle it. I surrender all. And it's really hard to surrender that. When Jesus tells the rich young ruler to sell everything, he says, I want what you can't let go of. And you know what it is. You know what you're holding tightly. What's so hard to open your hands and give to the Lord. He wants the good stuff. The bad stuff. He wants the things you think you can handle on your own. And the stuff that's out of your control. I surrender all. Not some. Everything. As the team comes up, as we finish with the song. Wherever you go, there you are. (laughs) And Jesus makes that invitation. Jesus says, come, follow me. Repent and believe. Let me be the king of your hearts. You can lay aside your uh, addiction you can, you can lay aside your successes, your failures. You, you, you lay down your weapons. That anger, that bitterness is just consuming you. The overflow determines the action. What's in your heart today? And if it's not what you want, move closer to the Lord. Let Him fill you with love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness self-control. Thank you for listening to audio from Central Christian Church in Portales, New Mexico. Feel free to make copies of this message to give to others, but please do not charge for those copies or alter the content in any way without permission. To connect with us, visit our website at centralwired.org.